Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So guys, how is the Mark 1 coming along? It's all coming together. Oh yeah? Uh, Right now, in my house, we have 7,000 pin bodies. Wow. And in Canada, some of the knocks that are getting PVD coded are delivered. And we're driving up to outside of Dallas tomorrow to deliver said pin bodies and the racks that we made for Sarah coding. So it's all kind of coming together. Is Canada new? Newish, yeah. yeah. We talked about that in on the latest project update, I right. think. Uh, we were kind of figuring out, deciding between different suppliers, and they were one of them. Uh, right. And then we ultimately went with them, yeah. Okay. You had a little bit of drama since we last spoke, I think, in regards yeah. to the, the knocks. <laughs> So let's see how technical do we want to get. Um, so yeah, we had every we had all the parts were made. Uh, I don't know, like three weeks ago or something. And you know they sent us kind of like sam- like parts, like samples of the like completely finished production parts. And um, after like testing them and as- like you know assembling them and doing some tests. We were just like, we're not happy with the way that the knock, which is like the part you click, um, the knock like felt kind of, well, not feel, I sounded, I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> the best way to describe it is like if you're unzipping a coat and um, there's like a little zzz, um, what's going on is the, when you machine metal on a lathe, there's like a little, like a little bit that is like moving along while the thing is spinning mm-hmm. and so really when you look at like a a, a a part a machine metal part that came off a lathe on, under a microscope it's really kind of like a spiral moving down the thing whatever it is and um although our like manufacturer does a really good job of making them like very like well machined like if you look at it it looks shiny and you can't ever see those grooves or anything on on um, a very small level there are kind of like little grooves down the whole surface and when we nickel when we had the body parts nickel plated and we had the final production tolerances and we had the titanium knocks when you clicked it you would kind of hear this little like butt like this little zipper sound like a zzz, zzz, kind of it's pretty subtle <laughs> but it was there and we just were like we're bummed out about it and we had from previous samples knocks that were aluminum they were made out of aluminum but then they had a thick nickel electroless nickel plating on them and what the electroless nickel plating does is it takes those grooves and kind of fills them in and smooths it out so you get a kind of a like a glossier part that looks polished it's not polished but it just has a thick nickel plating on it and so it's kind of it, it's smoother and with those parts they didn't do have that sound because that that kind of like those grooves were kind of evened out they're kind of filled in basically a little bit like on the microscopic level so uh after much kind of like debate or what well, actually didn't take much debate but after like 
just deciding to do it basically we decided to remake the knock parts in aluminum with nickel plating instead of the titanium ones because there wasn't a way to kind of polish or nickel plate or like kind of fix the titanium ones that we already had made and so that was got a big decision because it cost you know money and it you know put us well it actually ending up didn't slow us down very much but um it could have like slowed us down a couple weeks in terms of like delivering things because just the way stuff works um and so but we made that decision and i think we were both like very like felt really good about it once we had made it but it was one of those things where it's just like man are we like being silly about like are we are we being silly about this is this something anyone will ever notice it's kind of like one of those things where you're like wait are we just like too close to this but i feel really good about the decision i know dan does too um so that was kind of a big uh it doesn't ever feel good to make a change like that when you're already kind of like running up against a deadline but um but in the end it was the right thing to do so yeah that was um that was definitely kind of a a major hiccup i'd say yeah, and I mean, credit to our manufacturer, like, they hustled, and they made those, I think they told us it would take, like, 10 days to make those, and they ended up making them Four days. in, like, three days or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It was, uh, it was super fast, and it kind of, and be, they were kind of already doing other things uh, that I honestly don't think we really lost any time because of that change, or maybe, I guess the PVD, uh, because we had to ship to them, so yeah, yeah we probably... We probably lost like really a handful of days, but it's that part was really nice. Yeah, I know that like from other titanium pens that I've tried that are made of completely titanium, it's, it can be a little bit hit and miss. Like I have this one titanium um, pen that's very squeaky when I uncap it. Like it's very, very squeaky mm. in a way that mm-hmm. other types of pen metals are not. Uh, I well, it's you know it's probably not exactly the metal per se. It's probably more. Typically, other metals have something done to them. So they're, they're like, if they're aluminum, they're typically anodized, which real super changes the surface texture in crazy ways. Um, it like kind of oxidizes them like intensely or like steel, they might be polished. So I think it's just that that would happen kind of with any kind of metal made on a lathe. But but then something would probably be done to it after the fact, whereas I think titanium is like kept raw a lot. So it's just. It's weird. It's all very weird. All this stuff is so difficult. Like all this metal and like platings and all this stuff and how they combine. It's like so difficult to like really like predict. It's it's like kind of bonkers. It's like so we were like like we were conscious of that issue like this whole time. And then it just appeared after we had production parts because of the right tolerances and the hardnesses and all this stuff. So it's one of those things where it's like I could see us, you know, uh doing a complete produ- production run and and having had made all the parts and then um not noticing this and then just having to kind of deal with it i mean this was one of the reasons why like china is a huge advantage is like i'm like pretty certain that a it would have been so much more expensive to redo the parts and it wouldn't there's no way they could have done them that fast if we had done something in the states yeah yeah so like that's another like advantage where it's just like yeah, it just feels like there's like more hustle or flexibility going on. Um, but yeah, it's it's true. I mean, it's, you know, this is also because it's like the first like metal like metal pin thing we're making that's such high tolerances. So it 
you know, it's, I think it's also a factor of like lear learning some lessons, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, it's, it's hard, but I noticed that too on the pin, like machine pins that we've had, it's not an uncommon issue at all, especially with knocks and like clicky pins. A lot of them are really like uh, either feel rough or sound rough. So uh, it was something we wanted to get right. And I'm glad we got there. <laughs> Well, you know, I would say that I'm sure your customers will be glad too, because there was these these weren't wrong. You know, you could have could have shipped them. You know, yeah, like you could sure. have. Yeah. They're not broken. It's just not the way that you want it to be, and you yeah. could have changed it for future runs. Like, there's nothing stopping you doing that. So, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, I, I guess this is just one of those things that this I'm sure that you know people know by now. It's why they continue to back your products and it's why i think ultimately you guys are successful because you do really care about things that you maybe don't necessarily have to but it, it mm -hmm. what it does ultimately is creates a better product at the end of it i'm just i'm just sad that you guys have to eat a loss on that because it seems like it's not a small amount of money right like you know yeah. it's, it, it yeah. is an amount of money for every pen which you didn't have to spend before yeah but you know i think we it's funny one of the really nice things about kickstarter in like having a larger kind of volume production in the at the beginning is it's more stressful in some ways because you have it was like much larger expectations and you're 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 not it's not like we're making a hundred getting it right making another hundred get and like tweaking it's like no we're making like all these at once and they all better be good however the the nice thing is if there is a problem that costs a couple of thousand dollars like we have wiggle room because we had such a large like order. So it's one of those things where when you make a mistake, it's bigger, but it also, it's like, you, it feels like we have a little bit more padding, right? Like we have sure. more money in the bank than we typically would kind of thing. So, and, and I would like to believe, or would just at least assume that you guys have been doing this for long enough now that there is some element of that built in for sure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that there is, you know, like that, that, that these things aren't coming out of your paychecks particularly, right? Like that there was an element of company profit that is assumed. And then there is a, an amount of money, which is like, this is what we'll pay for when things go wrong. And this is what it's going to cost. Right. Yeah. We basically, the way we like handle that in general is just like, we target pretty high margins. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say high for like, it's not even high for like the industry per se, but like we just never let ourselves get try to like really squeeze pennies out of getting the smallest margins we can because we know we'll just like something will come up. You'll lose <laughs> you know? it. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll lose it. So that's why like it's we no matter what, like don't let ourselves, even though it's often tempting to try to like lower prices, uh, we just know that stuff always comes up and it's just like then we're putting things in jeopardy rather than, you know, kind of just knowing things will go on. So yeah, so we, you know, we, we pad the margins so that because we know that all this unforeseen stuff will come up. I mean, you know, I think if we were like Samsung and we were making TVs and we owned our factory and we were doing all this stuff, yeah, you could start shaving pennies and stuff. But, you know, that's just not a, like that. That's just not even close to us. <laughs> <laughs> so has this had a significant impact to the shipping timeline? I don't know. Like, not really, no, uh, because, like I said, there's kind of all these moving parts and uh, things are, you know, production of things are kind of overlapping and the ship right. dates and stuff, and we're kind of able to do other things while other things are being done. So You're not just sitting and waiting for this. Exactly. No. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 
So yeah, I think that's that's what made the decision feel better. It, if it was like a decision to where it was a matter of missing the holidays or not, that would have been a very very hard decision to make. But mm-hmm. because we had a feeling that it was they were going to be fast and they ended up being even faster, uh, it made it much easier. So do you do you have a, a target date for shipping to begin? Well. As horrible as a question as that tends to be. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, knock on wood. Um, I, you know, so I, I mean, transparently, this is what's going on. So, like, literally tomorrow, Dan and I are going to wake up early and drive these parts to, uh, like, you know, a couple, like, three or four hours to, like, Dallas. They are going to start, I think, basically immediately putting the Cerakote on. Uh, we had to change suppliers. That was a whole nother thing that yeah, happened almost the exact same time. We need to time. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so they're going to start doing that. Now, the rate of those, they are guessing it's going to be like 300 a day they can get done. Now, it might be faster, it might be slower than that. We don't really know. So they're going to start working on that, and then they will send them back to us in batches. I don't know what those batches are yet. And so I think once they start coming back to us, we'll actually have everything to start doing assembly and then we will send them out like as we like as we go basically so it's going to be a rolling shipping right yeah Yeah, for sure which is the best way to do something like this i think you know oh yeah for sure especially because we're assembling like dan and i are doing the assembly final assembly (laughs) so that will take time we're also planning to do the shipping for the uh for the kickstarter backers like we're not going to send a big batches to our warehouse and have them fulfilled like we're actually going to print shipping labels and ship them just directly, so that'll save a few days as well. Is that different to how you've done stuff in the past? Have you ever done direct shipping? Yeah, we have. We did panel book that way. Okay. Or kind of. Well, kind of. I guess we haven't. Yeah, no, I think really panel book is the was the first one. And actually, it was... We didn't even do that. Yeah, we were lucky that the company in Dallas that makes the panel books, they're also, like, happened to be, like, an order fulfillment company. So we just, like, coordinated with them to ship them. Uh, but that was nice because it saved a shipping step. Uh, but yeah, this is, I think this is the first one where we, we are literally like printing labels and shipping them from our homes. Does that include international shipping? So no, no. Yeah. Uh, we will do, we will send a bulk shipment to the UK uh, for, for like all of Europe, basically. Yeah. And it's faster and way cheaper to do that. Um, it's, I mean, if my understanding's correct as well, that's cheaper for the customer because they're not, it's cheaper for everyone. They're yeah. not going to get hit with, 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 with customers fees if they're in the UK. Yeah. We actually pay, we pay the import fees. Yes, Thank here. you. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's cheaper because we get to import them like on our side of the VAT than you're, you know, than you guys. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's like a, it's all weird, but, um, so yeah, so that so for European customer like backers, there will be some delay for that. Um, but we will ship that direct for in even Canada too. Um, you say there'll be a delay, which but the thing is, but not not in not in reality. Yeah, like not in reality. There are like multiple day delays, up to a week delay for something going into customs, like for us, for like the person. So like really. I would probably assume similar. that yeah. most people will be fine with that because then they don't have to pay the import fee and the handling fee and all that stuff. The other thing is things get lost a lot. Like the only affordable mm-hmm. way to ship to to like Europe from here is uh, USPS and that uh, like our you know our US Postal Service and that is like you, a it's not trackable and it's like things get lost all the time and it's oh yeah like it's a nightmare. nightmare it's a nightmare situation yeah. like yeah. you know there's a reason it costs the amount that it costs because it's not very reliable 
UPS has a new service that I've actually been talking to them about um, called iParcel, which is kind of a game changer where it's kind of like a shipping consolidator. So we would ship stuff in bulk to UPS and then they actually completely turnkey handle shipping them internationally and it's trackable the whole time. Oh, wow. So like, but what happens is it doesn't even use, like it would, like say it lands in Germany, they use like third-party carriers to actually get them to people. Um, and so, yes, yeah, this interesting system. It's still pretty costly. It's still like, you know, between $18, $20 for something uh, like that's like a pound. Um, so for these small light pins, it's like not that it, the, the the numbers don't exactly work out. But if you're sending something that's like two pounds, it's actually really affordable. So that is something that we're keeping our eye on. And I think that will really help a lot of e-commerce people. It's just like coming online now. Kind is of. this different to something like DHS Global Mail? Or something like that. It is different. I know. I see a lot of companies use that. Yeah, it's similar. But DHLs, that thing usually only works like if you have a warehouse and they like come pick it up and stuff. But I think Uh, there's a lot of companies yet doing that because it's just e-commerce is so popular that it Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Um, Because all of those ones seem to go through Germany. Everything goes from wherever to Germany and then shipped out from Germany. So, you know, it's complex, the whole thing. But we feel, I mean, we've done this so many times with the shipping that we feel like it's easy. It's actually pretty easy to ship out like three thousand, like print three thousand labels and ship them out. It's uh, just because we have these like pr- label printers and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. that, that's actually not that scary, believe it or not. What happened with the Cerakote vendor? <sighs> okay. Um, <laughs> so we we've been working with this company in like in Austin to do the Cerakote application, and you know we got a quote from them like in the beginning. Uh, and then the person who gave us a quote left the company. Nah. And then okay. we've like been proceeding with them, like yeah. doing like quotes and all this stuff. But then, you know, when I submit the final PO to be like, okay, like the parts are coming on this schedule. Like, here's the PO. I put, you know, the price we quote and they come back like, no, what are you talking about? It's like over twice as much, almost three times as much. And I was like, wait, what? Like, blah, blah, blah. so anyways, so we... Like after all that, we kind of scrambled to find a new supplier, and the Cerakote, someone at Cerakote actually really helped us out, like uh, finding a new supplier. So the company that makes the coating helped you find someone to apply it. Yeah, right. well, yeah, it's all very weird. So uh, the you, you can get certified to apply like Cerakote because it's like a pretty specialty thing to apply. It's not like powder coating. And so the Cerakote knows all the companies, like all the shops that do it. And there's like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's like thousands in the country. There's like tons of places that do it, but there's not that many places that do volume, like high volume. And so um, they just really know like who are the good suppliers for doing high volume and who specializes in that. And so there, yeah, the guy uh, was like, super, his name's Tom actually at, at NIC is the company that owns Cerakote. It was like super helpful and <laughs> and like turning around. And we, just, I think we kind of lucked out. I mean, we'll see. Um, but from everything I can tell, this new supplier seems pretty awesome. Um, they are a little bit further away from us, but they seem to be pretty awesome. And they, you know, are, are actually doing like honoring the price that we originally got from the first supplier. So so that's all good. But that was another like heart attack moment. Did the first supplier kind of give any reason as to why they wouldn't change the price back? It's it was, uh, I th- you know, I think it's an issue of like some miscommunication, some disorganization. Uh, but yeah, we were kind of turned off 
it seemed to me like they weren't really that on board for like mm. really trying to do us a solid and like help us out. So it's like, well, I mean, come on, man. Like it's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so I don't know. You know, those things happen. Uh, it's like weird when it's really weird when it happens. Usually a company will like, like come meet you either, either like really try to meet you halfway or just honor the price they sent. But in this case, uh, they just like couldn't, they just wouldn't do it basically. So, uh, you know, that usually tells you a lot about like how we really always want suppliers that will like work with us. Um, and not just on price, but like literally just like they want the project. They are willing to deal with our pickiness. They, you know, they like, they're one, they're like willing to kind of get in the weeds with us. Um, and so, yeah, it tells you a lot when, yeah, the company, when they did, sometimes it doesn't seem like they want to do it after they realize that we're real detail oriented. <laughs> and they're like, ah, this is maybe more than we signed up for. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's one of those things it happens all the time, but it just was really bad timing. And that's like, we did like four test runs with them. It's like, uh, you know, so anyways, that's the way it goes sometimes. But we uh, seems like we landed somewhere good. It was a very dicey couple of days, but um, I'm feeling pretty good about new supplier. Yeah, I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> so is there anything else going on at the Mark 1? Well, I mean, all the parts, you know, all these parts are, all, everything's it's like, the only thing that's not in is the cork pieces. Mm-hmm. For the packaging, uh, oh, the springs. The springs are coming, uh, like like on Thursday, I think. And um, and I mean the mechanisms themselves. Oh yeah, so yeah, the, uh, the so manufacturer in China is like they are doing like some of the assembly, and so they are doing that and finishing up some plating. And I need to check back in with them, but I think I bet you they'll be shipping very soon. And you know, all this stuff is coming over on a plane from China, so it usually takes like two or three days for them to actually get to us once they're sent. So it's pretty quick. So our, you know, our plan going forward is doing some pre-assembly, and then as these seracoded bodies come in, like doing, yeah, doing, you know, final assembly and rolling out. So you know, we'll see how that goes. We'll know a lot more, and like a week from now, we'll know way more about how, you know, how that's gonna happen, basically. Well, that's exciting times. Yeah. We're approaching the end. I can't believe it. It's good. I think. I hope you know. I hope there's no more surprises. There, pr- yeah. there probably will be. But I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to to get mine. I I just put my uh I I've got my my production model here on the desk, and I'm looking forward to putting it into long term storage and replacing it with uh mm. with the final model. The real deal. Because I'm super excited about the white the white copper. I was gonna ask what color combination you. Well, I that white I bought copper? both. I bought both so ah. I could so I could. So I could change them up, but uh, you guys sent me the uh, black and and um, what what's what's the official silver, silver. A nickel <laughs> nickel. So, there yeah, you go. so yeah, yeah. So nickel. So the oh, that was another change. Is the the silver colored knock one is now just like straight up nickel and not PVD. Uh, right. Okay. And then yeah, and then the other one is a copper PV colored PVD on nickel. Um, and the reason we went with the, the supplier in Canada is because they they can simulate the cop, like color of copper we want really well. 
Um, not like actually no other place we have found <laughs> in North, the North America uh, can do um, the copper color we want. So that is why they're going to Canada. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I I have always preferred the white and the uh, the copper, which was my very first original before the whole like. This is like over a year ago when you first sent me it. Before you went down the like when the pen was nearly ready, right to be uh-huh, to yeah. be to be put <laughs> yeah. out to the world, and then you went back to the drawing board. Um, and I I prefer that. I, I think that that is personally. I think that is the ultimate combination uh, is the white mm-hmm. and and copper. So I'm really looking forward to getting that in. Well, you're wrong because the copper and black is the ultimate combination. But I mean, you can have. Um, your I mean, so my question cool. to you then, Tom, is why why was that not in the original plan? If it's the ultimate combination, because of Dan, okay, because of Dan. <laughs> it's all because of Dan. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, I, I think that <laughs> copper and white. If there was only two, I think copper and white and black and silver are the two probably like most, like those make the most sense. Um, but I'm glad that we are able to like offer, you know, four options basically. Um, it is more complex for us, like for fulfillment and assembly and everything. But it's we have the numbers, so it's like it's fine. Um, but yeah, the white, the white and copper was, I think something we always like from the get go, that was something that seemed like it'd be really awesome. So mm-hmm. it'd, be it'd be really shiny. So that's, that would be the big difference. I think that that's kind of the, the, the other, the other reason that pushed us over the edge with doing the electroless nickel plating over the PV over this, the raw titanium is that they're more, they're glossier the Knox. They're like more like jewelry. I don't like raw titanium. Yeah. I don't think it looks very good. Well, our titanium was like it, you no one has seen it. Uh, <laughs> that's like it's it's pretty shiny. Like it it doesn't uh it's pretty shiny, but the nickel plating, that thick nickel plating makes it quite a like shinier. So and right. we it, it's like a little piece of jewelry. So. I just mean in general like titanium stuff that I've seen it's one of my least favorite metals in a raw state like when it's kind of made mm-hmm. and machined in a raw state. Um yeah. I always prefer it's like aluminum. Really gray. Yeah, it's very it's really gray. gray. Uh and I, and I find it I don't know like it it's fine but it it often looks like a color that is not what I was expecting. Ting, you know? it's really it it's interesting though if you if it's like polished it looks basically identical to uh like nickel or stainless steel like it, it's it is one of very weird like when it's raw like you're saying or matte it is very gray but if it's polished up it's like really difficult to tell them apart um and i think it's just because there's so much light reflected and stuff where you can't see the color difference that much but um but yeah it's it is like kind of kooky all that stuff but uh yeah i think we uh, we definitely landed in the best spot so would you like to do a dance tech corner i would love it <laughs> okay did dance you finish there corner! it is i was waiting for the jingle uh, <laughs> now we transition to dance tech corner what is on the docket for dance tech corner this time we're gonna be talking about ipads today is it more stuff that's gonna be out of date by the time <laughs> we release the episode oh geez i hope not is that what happened last time i, I think so i think so I but it's fine. We can still talk about it anyway. I just got some iPad hot takes. That's all. Great. They're not that hot. And actually, the more I think about it. They're not even it, takes. <laughs> it's not even about the iPad. They're not that hot. And they're not even takes, really. <laughs> okay. Hot take number one. This is this is a pretty this is a pretty minor hot take. This is, this is a warm, like a room temperature take. Yeah. 
I just want to dull everyone's temper, everyone's expectations of how hot these takes actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the I feel like these new iPads, like we've arrived at what the iPad is. <laughs> like I don't think uh, the I like think this is what the iPad is going to be for uh, like the next decade plus. Uh, accessories not included, like just the form. Like mm-hmm. basically, what I'm saying is, it's just a screen. <laughs> like that's that's what it is now. And but crucially, I think the bezels more or less need to stay how thick they are. Like kind of the obvious like line of progress you can imagine is like, okay, the iPad is like going to continue to get thinner, and the bezels are going to continue to reduce and until there are no bezels and you're literally holding like an edge to edge screen. But I actually am dubious that I don't think they will go much more than this. Exactly. Yeah. Like I don't think that would actually be usable, even if you did, you know, fancy software stuff to like know when you're grabbing the edge. There is a way that you can hold an iPhone um, that you cannot hold an iPad. Exactly. That means you can have different bezel sizes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so an iPhone could approach, like, a true kind of edge-to-edge. So, yeah, it's, like, just crazy to think, like, oh, like, this is it. Like, this is now, like, I really think this is what iPads are going to be for the next, like, 10 years or maybe longer. Just because I don't see what else would change. Again, not going down like different keyboard solutions or uh, or anything like that. Yeah, from from the front face of it, uh, I would expect that you're correct. In the same way that the last eight years, there's been barely any changes, right? Right. Like the closest that we got to a to a significant change was the iPad Mini because it got smaller bezels, and then the 10.5 on the sides, and then the 10.5 inch iPad Pro got smaller bezels on the sides. Um, but it still had a very distinct iPad thick bezel on two of the sides, right? And now mm-hmm. this like rounded corners and thin bezels all the way around, like that that front glass is going to look like this for a, for a, for I would say probably about the same amount of time. I am completely yeah. on board with you on that one. Yeah, the rest of it is Great. all subject to change, right? Like, yeah, they might not yeah. keep the flat edges. I think they probably won't. I think it looks really great, um, but I would expect they will make some changes on that because that you can change that with with trend or whatever. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah, but but the, I would expect you're you're very correct about the front. Great, that was a successful hot take then. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it was successful doesn't mean it has more or less heat. But they could also, I mean, this is like, so for instance, they could, but they could like do um, like the iPhone with a notch. And in almost every case, unless you're watching a movie or something, uh, like have all that be black. Just like literally they black it out. Yeah, but that would be frustrating for me to know that there's screen there that I can't use. Because they would call it a 14-inch iPad or whatever, but I would only ever be able to use 12.9 of it unless I've got it well, standing up. what if they up. gave it to you? What if they gave it to you when you needed it? So, like, when you're, you like, yeah, like, I mean, I could see a situation where they transition to OLED. Like, when it's docked in the keyboard, it's full screen because you're not holding it. But yeah. then when you undock it, it's like, yeah, pulls the edges in a little bit. Yeah. It surely could. But even then, even in that situation... Um, I th- I still think Dan's point stands because then 50% of the time or whatever, it looks like how it looks now, 
right? So like that, this design language that they have right now still maintains for some use cases, but adapts for other use cases. You know what I mean? So like, I, I agree with you. That is definitely something that could be interesting to, to, to see how that would work. But it, the iPad would still have the look to it that it has now whenever you're holding it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing... So my vision for the future of these kind of devices is, uh, I think, different than you guys. Like, if I could snap my fingers and have the perfect thing, I would want an iPad that's like 40 or maybe 34 inches. And uh, it'd be like basically mounted at like a drawing table. I 100% want that too. I'm talking about like what what Dan's saying about these iPads I agree with. I want the Surface Studio version of the iPad. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I want that very badly, you know, like. So, but I could see like if, you know, I mean, I don't think this would ever happen, but, you know, maybe when you like put it in that tape like it could be a thing you put it in then it goes like full screen because you're never grabbing or whatever like Mm -hmm. you know i i i i I think that the what basically my point is i think the like apex of ipad design is not this it is completely full screen somehow the notch goes away right and it's just like you know it literally is a full screen and then if you need something to grab that will come in software right but i don't think we're well at least i'm not mean like this is it forever but like the last eight years has looked a specific way i think the next probably most of 10 years will look this way i'm saying decade i'm putting my flag one decade Okay. In 2028? I don't know about that. I feel like we may have moved somewhere. But... We're going to have Westworld-style foldable screens by then, hopefully. <laughs> Apparently that's coming, like, very soon. Samsung yeah. seems to be on the edge of it, which is a concern. I don't I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> I saw somebody tweeting about this because, like, there's people talking about it now just generally in technology, right? And there was this... Um, this company had like a demo, like The Verge did an article about it, and like it works, like it's totally a thing that works. Uh, but I saw somebody tweeting that all this makes me feel like is this two times the opportunity for me to scratch a screen in my phone. Are <laughs> 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 yeah. there any more hot takes for Dan's tech? Yeah, call? Dan. I-, I got another one. It's okay. not so much a hot take as a just a. <laughs> there were point no of hot takes. Were there really? As <laughs> a, a, a medium, as like a medium take, and then just like a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think the new form factor is really nice looking and interesting, and I think. My interpretation of it is like the the primary reason for making the edge flat like that is for the uh for the pencil mounting and every other yeah. benefit kind of trickled down from that. Mm-hmm. Um and so but one thing I'm interested in is that basically smart uh covers don't exist anymore. They're now smart folios and the magnets are all along the back instead of the side edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe there's still magnets in the side edge because it like clicks into the uh, cover like w- in those two angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like inter- like they dramatically changed how covers mount to the iPad and they changed the location of the smart connector as well. So it just kind of got me going down this like path of like, what does that mean for the future? Like, did they make this change because they have like alternate alternative keyboard mounting ideas that will like better work with this new magnetic and smart connector system? I hope so. What they could previously do. I do as well. So that's like, what's got me excited is like, Oh, this like 
this is like a pretty big change, like a pretty big dramatic change for kind of like no reason right now because the smart cover is like still more or less exactly the same. So it makes me like excited of what they're going to do in the future. I can give you a wild theory if you want. Yeah. That, Let's hear it. That uh, the next version of iOS, um, so iOS 13, will include uh, some kind of maybe trackpad support. Yeah. So they will create a keyboard which has a trackpad in it, but they can't give you that now because you can't do anything with it. Right, um, yeah. But they won't, I don't believe that they will change the iPad hardware for another two years. So yeah. if they want to put it in, they've got to put it in now. Um, yeah. And and then, you know, they'll, they'll come up with a different keyboard later on. Yeah, I mean that's kind of precisely what I'm getting at is like what is like why this big of a change in the hardware? Like my basically my hope is like they've got some cool stuff in the hopper that like works with the system. I agree with you. They did not need to make the smart keyboard a folio. That that was nobody was asking for that. Like, you know, you can see it now and be like, okay, the folio design is better because of X, Y, and Z. But there was nothing wrong with the way that the smart keyboard worked. Um, they they didn't need to turn the smart keyboard into a folio, so they really did a lot with those back magnets just to make a back cover case, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. could potentially suggest that there is more coming down the line because you know, like somebody could still make a, a smart cover in the way that we've known it, and it could attach to the pencil magnets. Right, there's no one stop. There's nothing stopping any third party from doing that. Maybe I guess. It, it would be backwards it, then. Yeah, and also it'd probably cover up the buttons. But so. I think the I think there are still magnets on that side edge where the smart cover went previously because, like I said, oh, that's where the smart keyboard latches into. So yeah, you could exa- still do it exactly. So you yeah. could still do it. Apple don't make one, but somebody could make one, right? For yeah. whatever reason, Apple's even even the the non keyboard uh, case that they have is a folio now as well yeah. i mean the the previous smart keyboard cover was always really hilarious to me because it's like it worked well it, it was like how do i describe it it was like the best possible solution you could do for like seemingly two products that were designed completely like not in concert with one another <laughs> like you would never if you were designing those things to work together from day one like you would never do this like super weird origami style it is very strange cover yeah but it's like so they, it's like they, they did the best they could with what they were given but it seemed so disconnected i i would slightly disagree because if they wanted to create something that could still allow you to stand it up in the media mode it had to have that weird origami so you could flip the keyboard around to the back yeah. Right. Which is something that the new smartfolio does not have. Like it has two viewing angles, but the keyboard is always in front, which mm-hmm. I think is a regression. Like having the keyboard always in front, like because if you're watching something, that's why they've been very, they've been very clever about how they've named them. You know, they're not referring to one as standing it up to watch videos. That is for when you are at a desk. But that doesn't make any sense because nobody needs it at that angle on the desk, I don't think. But um, so you've got like a desk mode and a lap mode, and it changes, and like you're supposed to change the angle between those two modes, right? But mm-hmm. I think that one of those modes replaces what used to be like the media mode where you'd be watching something on it and wouldn't have a keyboard in front of you. But now the keyboard is always in front, which I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not 
chuffed about, honestly, because I, I use the the media mode kind of a lot where I'd flip it around. So, yeah, I may still end up buying uh, uh, one of the smart covers, but I'm or whatever smart folio cover instead of the smart keyboard. It's a smart folio and the smart keyboard folio. Uh, I may still get one of the smart folios and, and kind of replace it from one or the other. We'll see. Hmm. It seems like the canopy works, though. Yeah. that. Yeah, did you see that, Tom? Uh, mm-hmm. Jason Snell has, like, uh, the big, the 12.9-inch, like, as a review unit, and I, mm-hmm. asked, I asked him to test it in canopy to see if you could still, like, swipe up, and he oh, okay. kindly obliged and said it. it it wasn't a problem. Like there was enough space. Oh, okay. So the keyboard is okay. So the keyboard doesn't cover it that closely. We do need to kind of do some testing ourselves. Uh, but it looks like actually the bezels on the big one, at least is actually slightly bigger than the thinnest oh, bezel on the previous pro. Huh. Uh, like, if, like obviously the forehead and chin got uh, thinner, yeah. But the side ones like are either the same or a little bit bigger, uh, so it looks like it's you can still comfortably swipe. Like the keyboard doesn't block it, so that's good. Even though there isn't too much requirement to swipe anyway, really, um, there are great keyboard shortcuts for all the things that you would yeah, swipe yeah, for. Yeah. Even with this new uh, this new iPad, you will use a keyboard shortcut instead of like swiping up to go home or whatever. My hands are always on the keyboard. Keep your hands yeah. on the home row, Dan. I never learned how to do that. Yeah. I, I always have. I mean, the keyboard's always there. The keyboard is always closer to me than the screen is. So yeah. I use. I even use the keyboard shortcut to bring up the dock. Like, I do it all the time. Because yeah. plus, honestly, nice. like, since they they changed to the uh, iPhone X style um, gestures, mm-hmm. it's much more reliable for me to get to the dock by hitting the keyboard shortcut than doing the yeah. exact right swipe that you need to do yeah they've got they've got some uh some issues uh with the uh uh what's the word there's like too many gestures happening in one there's like regions. six things that you can do yeah. with just a swipe up and i understand it like it makes sense it makes sense if you're coming from the iphone like it, it enable it like ensures that consistency is there like i get it but it's just a shame that no, it's not a shame that they that they added the dock because the dock made such a massive change. But I feel like the dock wouldn't have existed in a world where these gestures were coming. Like they would have found a different way to do that potentially. Um, but hey ho, I mean, I, I'm I'm I, I am happy with everything that we've got because I can I can use it all. Yeah. So Mike, uh, so when I was talking about kind of the smart cover and stuff, and that you had mentioned the uh, prospect of a trackpad, which I am too. I'm very excited about, but to me, that's a really interesting, uh, kind of design exercise or thought exercise of like, what, how would that work? Because I think we can maybe all agree that they're not just going to like slap a mouse, uh, or slap a, a cursor, cursor, just like floating, uh, floating on top of iOS. So, like what how does that how does that interact with the with the OS and what changes do they have to make to get that to work? I'm not sure if I would necessarily agree that they would never put a cursor on it. Hmm. Um I feel like yep. it could be useful. I mean, especially now it looks like well, now we're able to connect these things to external displays, you know, like there's there's something to be said for that. 
and I understand why like a lot of people think, oh, what's the point in adding a cursor to it or whatever, but I think that there is benefit. Even if it was just like a trackpad that allowed me to scroll content and allowed me yeah, to, to move the... Yeah, gesture pad? Yeah, like it's gestures yeah. and it allows me to move the cursor. That would be more than enough. I'd be very happy with that. But I yeah, I, yeah. W- I would also personally like uh, there to be some, some form of a mouse pointer. That would be totally fine for me. Or it might be no pointer. Like, for instance, uh, if you think about iOS, if you, just, if you had gestures for scrolling and stuff, um, you know, maybe even like on Springboard, you put your finger down and the like the icon like one icon zooms big and you can like move your finger around and the icons get big depending on what one you're kind of selecting like i think there's ways to break away from that yeah i mean apple tv is the precedent right like yeah exactly the trackpad uh on the apple tv has solved a lot of these problems without having a cursor where it just you have you i mean you have to design focus stays into the os which is a huge change like that would take a lot of work to do that but i think that is a solution that could work uh you know without having to add a cursor in and then you know obviously you just there's a lot of contextual use. So uh, if you're typing in a document and there's a cursor there, then moving the trackpad would like move the cursor. And there's like a different scenarios. Um, another interesting precedent, I think, is uh, the digital crown on the mm-hmm. watch mm-hmm. is like you have a focus state, like if the volume is focused or whatever, or like if a slider is focused and then you can turn the crown and it adjusts it like that could tra- that type of thing could translate to having a trackpad on iPad where like a, a UI element is focused like a spinner or a, or a, a slider or whatever and then you can just use the trackpad to adjust it like that could be pretty nice yeah I bet I could see that happening and there's not that many times where you need to horizontally scroll that's our horizontally like select mouse it's almost all vertical everything almost right I mean so that's pretty mm-hmm. interesting yeah, I can see them just doing it on standard control, just like standard UI elements that Apple controls. Um, it's basically just gesture support that already kind of exists. Mm-hmm. I'm just like thinking about the APIs, and I actually don't think it'd be that huge of a change. Cross your fingers. Yep. I mean, it's funny. Selfishly, like I use my iPad Pro as a sketch, as like a notebook, and I, all I want is just like a real piece of CAD software to arrive. Well, Autodesk is doing one, right? They announced. Are they doing? Oh no, I didn't know. Are they doing? It was announced. It was like very quickly announced during the keynote that Autodesk was coming to the iPad Pro. Well, they're already there. I bet. It sounded like a new app. It sounded like a new app. It was like very quickly, very quickly mentioned. I'll look into it. The the thing they do now is it's like viewing and like editing. But I mean, like I want like full on, like you know, software. Just full on. Same with like you know what I what Adobe's doing with Photoshop. It's like okay, awesome. Like thank you for actually doing this. So and you know if you know Xcode, I mean it's like you know it's not it's it's funny because it's like so powerful and it's so close. It really just it's just like a company committing to doing it basically is all that needs to happen. Yeah, and I'll be happy. Guys, this is this has been a really good tech corner. I thought it's been really good. Yeah, I'm so I'm very pleased that we brought the segment back. <laughs> Dance Tech Corner!
thoroughly considered as a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 43. And if you enjoyed Dan's Tech Corner, tell him 